Hey everyone, my name is Adam. Welcome to the Chestnut Ridge Church Podcast. At the end of today's talk, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at The Ridge. We hope that today's talk will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning. Uh, Seven years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Columbia, South America with Compassion International. Uh, A group of about 15 of us, mostly pastors, flew into Bogota, and then we took a small plane to a village called Mantaria, where Compassion had some of these children's projects, and we saw the tremendous work that they were doing. Our team was led by a guy named Peter Habyarimana from Uganda. And uh, toward the end of our time there, we were all in one of the larger hotel rooms, and Peter shared his story with us about how this guy from Uganda ended up being our, our guide for this trip. He said that he did not think that when he was a boy that he would actually live past the age of five. In fact, his mom didn't even give him a name until he was two, because in the village in which he lived, uh, the, more, uh, the infant mortality rate was 50%. The, the babies did not live past the age of two. And therefore, a lot of mothers didn't give their, their children names. They didn't want to get attached to the child, lest the child die. But he lived in what he called abject uh, poverty. Uh, he got one meal like every other day, just one meal every other day, and it, it often wasn't a very good meal. Uh, but the worst thing for him... And the thing that made life so hard for him was his father. His father was an incredibly violent man, and he feared for his life. At the age of five, he thought his father was going to kill him or or kill his mother. He especially hated the fact that his father treated his mother so poorly. And so within this context, Peter never learned a dream. I mean, for him, it was just survival. Every day was just making it for another day. Um, when he was eight years old, uh, Peter went to school for the first time in his life. He didn't care about learning anything, he said. Uh, he was just glad to be away from his dad for eight hours a day. And then when he reached 11 years old, he concluded for whatever reason that his father was going to kill him at any time, and so he fled. He just left. Now, he'd never been real far from home, but he went to the bus station and he asked the question, which bus goes the farthest from here? And he was told it was a bus that went 300 miles to the capital, which was Kampala. And so this 11-year-old boy somehow managed to get the money, and he jumped on that bus. It was a 16-hour trip, and he thought in his mind, at least if I die, my dad will not have the satisfaction of finding my body. That was what his thought was. Now again, remember he's 11 years old, he became a street kid, basically. He says that during that time period at night he would sleep about 30 minutes at a a time because he, he was afraid he would get killed, although many times he thought, I don't care if I die. I mean, maybe it would be better than this. And so he lived off the street, he stole things, he he would help um, tourists and others carrying things like a bunch of bananas, and he'd get a, a few coins for that, but then he'd also pocket some of the bananas. 
It was from when this, within this context, after living there in the capital city on the streets for four years at the age of 15, he noticed that there was a particular guy that came every Saturday at the same time to buy food and things. And this particular guy was, was kind to him. In fact, it's the first person in his entire life that he felt was kind to him. And so, noticing that this guy and this guy and his wife sometimes, but they'd show up at the same time every Saturday, he would go and he would help them. And of course, he'd also help himself to some of what they bought. And this happened week after week. At a certain point, this guy, who was somehow involved with Compassion International, offered to send him to a boarding school to take him back to this place where he worked. He said, you could live at the boarding school and, um, and you'll get a free education. And Peter liked the idea of a free education, not again because he wanted to learn anything, but the school represented for him safety. But he didn't trust the guy. He had learned in life not to trust anybody. That was his life. And so he would every week help this guy and in several of the weeks the guy brought up the same idea, would you like to come and, and go to school? And, and if you do so, of course, the only requirements for you is you have to go to the boarding school and then there's a church program you have to be part of too. Those are the only two requirements and the church program was put on by Compassion International. Well, after several months of doing this, finally Peter said, I'm, I'm willing to go today. And so the guy told him, go take a shower and come right back. Well, go take a shower. I mean, he didn't know whether he could even get a shower. He found some water and he kind of cleaned himself up. Unfortunately, the water smelled worse than he did. And so he was really smelly as he jumped in this vehicle that this guy was driving and they began to drive several hours. And along the way, he thought, they're probably going to kill me. That was his thought much of the, the time. But again, he thought, I don't, I don't know that I care. What do I have to lose? When they arrived at the, the center where the children were, and it was several hours later, he got out and the director of the, the Compassion Center there told him to go play soccer with the other boys. And then the director left. Well, Peter didn't do it. He didn't listen. And so the director came back later and said, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Why did you not play soccer? And Peter's response was, if you're going to beat me, beat me now and get it over with. And uh, the director was baffled by that. Why would, why would I beat you? And he said, well, that's what my dad always did. He would do something nice. See, Peter really did want to play soccer. But my dad would do something nice and then he'd always beat me. He'd always do something bad. It was like a cruel trick that he was playing on me. Peter was there for some time and in, in time he began to trust the director and in time he put his trust in Jesus to be his savior. In time he began to be a translator for Compassion International and then now this, this former street boy was our guide and he was traveling around the world with pastors introducing them to the great work that Compassion International was doing. It was a life that was transformed. At one point though, the director said something to him that really began to change the direction of his life. The director said to him, God has a purpose for you, that's why you're here. And we are here to help you find that purpose. 
Peter had never thought in his life that there could be some purpose for his life, something that he could actually do that would make a difference in the world. It was the first time in his life where he began to think, maybe I'm worth something. Maybe I'm valuable. And this is, relates to what I want to talk about here today. You know, people need things like food and water, and we need air to survive. These are kind of the necessities of life, we call them. And, and there are other things that studies have indicated are also necessary. One of them is love that we just, we need to be loved. You know, people die when they don't have love. But another thing that I think most of us need is knowing that our life matters, that we have a purpose in life. See, we were created in the image of God and all of us by virtue of that have meaning and purpose. Apart from anything we would ever do, anything we'd ever accomplish, we have purpose in life because we were created in the image of God, but our lives take on greater meaning, greater joy, greater purpose when we give our lives away than when we hold on to them. When, we, when our lives have a positive purpose, we make a contribution. When we leave this world a better place than we found it. And we need that kind of purpose in our lives. A mindset of looking for, our, for the needs of other people. Now, today we're beginning this new series that's really all about this, having this mindset of, of looking outside of ourselves. Every year around this time, around November, we just like to do a series related to look outside yourself, look in terms of giving, look in terms of serving. And I'm not talking here about giving or serving within the church, although I think that's one aspect of it, but it's something a lot bigger than that. This idea that if God has blessed us in various ways, we have an obligation to help and serve and give to other people, which is Peter's life was changed because of that. Somebody gave to him, and now he was in a position where he was serving and giving to other people, and it makes a huge difference in our lives. The Apostle Paul was speaking with some leaders in the church of Ephesus, and he knew in the book of Acts chapter 20 that this was the last time he was going to see them, and it's interesting what he told them on this occasion. You know, you'd think if this is the last time that he was going to see them, whatever he's going to say is going to be kind of important. And this is what he said in verses 34 and 35, among other things. He said, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it's necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know that Paul was a tent maker. He's saying, I use my own hands, I earn my own living, and then as I traveled from church to church, I know I not only took care of my own needs, but I took care of the needs of those who are with me. I had this mindset that life is about earning, but it's about using what we have for other people as well. And then he quoted the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now I've wondered about that for actually years. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The reason I've wondered about it is because I sure like receiving. You know what I mean? I just like receiving things. Even if it's a little thing, I, I like receiving. And so how is it more blessed to, to give than to receive? A couple weeks ago, I went through a drive-through fast food line. I put in my order and then I got to the window. 
And uh, they handed me the food first, what I had ordered. They gave it to me first, which was, I thought was unusual. You're supposed to pay first so you can't drive off. And I said, well, what do I owe you? I haven't paid yet. And they said, oh, you don't know anything. It's, it's free. And I had to clarify it because I don't want to be the, the pastor that gets in the newspaper for driving off without paying for his food, you understand? I don't want some misunderstanding, like that's not very believable when you get pulled over. Like I, did, I thought they said, you don't have to pay. Yeah, right. But I was a little puzzled by this because this has happened to me at least three times where I went to pay for my food and I was told that the person in the car in front of me paid for my meal. It was one of those pay it forward type things where that's just happened to me three times and sometimes I've done it to others, for others. You know, when it happened to me, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm gonna pay for the person behind me and kind of continue the thing going. That's not what happened here. This restaurant just gave it to me for free and I, it was a little thing. It was not a lot of money, but it, it just, the rest of the day, it was like it kind of made my day. It's like I got that for free. I mean, they gave that for free. It wasn't much. But we love receiving. In what sense is it better to give than to receive? Well, certainly, if you are in a position to give, you're in a more blessed place than someone who is in a position to need. I think we'd all agree with that. Isn't it a lot better to be able to be the person doing the giving than being the person that, that needs to receive? That's, I think that's part of it, but there's a lot more to it. And so today we're beginning this new series titled True Riches. And again, during the holiday time, we want to be thinking in terms of, uh, of giving outwardly, but also recognizing that this is indeed the, the, the path of blessedness, the path of joy, something that we can celebrate. Now, my main takeaway here today is this, that we should live to give. We should live to give. And I'm really countering this with the idea we should live to give as opposed to maybe living to accumulate. But we're going to see in a minute, I think this is, this is what we're required to do. We come into this world, God wants us to be making a contribution. We, we live to give as opposed to we live just to accumulate a bunch of things for ourselves. Jesus, of course, modeled this. In Mark 10, 45, we read, for even the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and then it says, and to give his life, a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came into this world. If anyone was deserving of being served, it was him, but he didn't come in with the idea, you're to serve me. He came to give his life. Say, I'm gonna invest my life here. And like Christ, we should live to give not to accumulate. Every time I think of this subject, I think of the bumper sticker I saw here in Morgantown years ago that said, the one who dies with the most toys dies. I've thought of it ever since. It's, like, it's really kind of clever, and it's true. It's not about what we have. It's the difference we can make in the lives of other people. Now, today I want to look at a section in the New Testament that I think lays out the best case for being generous and giving. That there are reasons that the Apostle Paul gives, and I think there are more of them in this section than any other, where he spells out the blessedness associated with having a mindset to be giving and helping other people. The passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 6. 
But let me set the context for what Paul was writing about. Apparently, there was a famine in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, and the outlying area, and so the believers who were in the church there were suffering. And when Paul became aware of the need, as he was traveling to the different churches, he decided to raise money to give to the, those who were needy in Jerusalem, which it, it's wonderful he did this because he did this really of his own initiative. You know, at the time that this took place, that there were like the 12 apostles were still around. Uh, Judas had hanged himself, but there, another replaced him. So there were 12 apostles, but I don't see them doing anything about the problem. But Paul looked at this and said, I can make a difference. He saw the need, he said, I can make a difference, and he went around to the churches. One of the churches he approached was the church located in the city of Corinth. And they enthusiastically said, yes, we will help out, but then they did nothing about it. They were very slow to follow through with their promise. And so the words we're gonna read are what he wrote to the believers in Corinth to spur them on to be faithful to give as they had promised to do. Now let's read 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse six, and I'm gonna read this section. It goes six to 15, fairly long, and then I wanna briefly break it apart. Beginning in verse six, Paul said, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Again, this is in the context of giving to these needy believers. Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints or the believers, but it's also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. They'll glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. For they'll have a deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What lessons can we learn from this? Five, I wanna mention. First, that it pays to give. Now, I expect some pushback on this one. Um, I've, I've had it in the past when I've even brought up the subject. We, we don't want to be the kind of people who give because you'll get something back for it, right? I mean, that's kind of the perspective we have. I don't want, to be, I don't want my motive for giving to think, I don't want to be thinking in terms of what I'll get back if I give. But Paul began with that exact idea. That's where he began to, to motivate them, to say, I want to remind you of something. Look at verse six again. He said, remember this, 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, of course, love should be, I think, the motive behind all of our giving. But this is still a, a principle here, this idea of, of sowing and reaping. He's talking about the fact if you just sow a little in terms of giving, you're going to reap a little in terms of giving. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. Now, this is the universal principle of life, that, that you get what you, you reap, or you sow, you sow and you reap. That's a principle of life. It applies to many areas of life. For example, even in things like um, lust, sexual desires. If you sow to that, you're going to reap immorality. See, we've we got to be careful what we sow. And, and sowing applies to all kinds of things. It's a, it's a physical principle of life. I have a small garden plot located next to my house, and I haven't, I haven't planted it every year, but some years I do, and it doesn't do a real good job. It doesn't get enough sun, but sometimes I'll plant tomato plants and other things there. I have a neighbor that also attends the church here. He also has a garden plot next to his house, only his is huge. And he fills it up. He plants all kinds of things in his garden. Who do you think gets more? Who gets the biggest return? Does he get it or do I? I mean, it's, it's just an obvious thing. He gets so much back from his garden that he gives me bags of vegetables. It's part of the reason I don't plant mine anymore. Just kidding. No, he gives to me, he gives to other people. He's got plenty because when you sow a lot, you don't expect to get anything if you don't, if you don't plant anything. And Paul is saying, listen, when you plant in this area, in the financial area, it comes back. It comes back to you. And others wrote about this. Solomon said the same thing in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. He said there's, the, there, there's one kind of person who gives freely yet gains more somehow. Another withholds what's right. They hold on to it only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched. The one who gives a drink of water will receive water. You will reap what you sow. That's what he's saying. Jesus said exactly the same thing. In Luke 6, 38, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over, it suggests you'll get more back than you gave. It'll be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Is it possible that some of us are not prospering in the financial area because we don't give? And I'm not, again, talking about the church, although I think that's part of it. I'm talking about having a heart to meet the needs of other people and caring about those who are struggling, having a heart for those who are poor. Is it possible that we're not reaping because of this? Now, I think it's important to understand a couple things about this particular point. Number one is that it's not always apples for apples. There's no promise that says if you give $10 to help the poor, God will give you $10 back. It doesn't always work that way. In fact, in God's math, it's usually, it's more than that. It, so it doesn't always work that way. And you'll hear people do this on, on um, televangelists and others. They'll talk about planting your, your seed with them. And, and God will multiply a tenfold. I've heard them talk like that. 
God will multiply your seed tenfold. Send us your money and God will multiply it. And I know people who have done it and ended up broke because they couldn't afford to give it in the first place. When I see these kinds of things, I think, you know, frankly, there are a lot of liars and thieves that are profiting off the gospel. I think so, over false claims. Also, the return we get is all, not always in this lifetime. So, same with the reward, some of the return is going to be in the next. That's why Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. Jesus, in Matthew 6, was talking about money too. He said the same thing. Make sure you store up there, invest there. And so, some of the return is up there. I think what Paul's saying here, though, is in our giving, we're not losing. I think that's the bottom line. Second reason why we live to give is that it pleases God when we do so. God's pleased by this. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, he said, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When I read any time in the Bible that there's something that God loves, that's something I want to do. I would trust you would as well. I say, God loves this thing. I want to do something God loves. It says God loves a cheerful giver. This should be true, of course, of, of a lot of things in life. If you find out your spouse loves something, you do it. I have a little thing I do. It's, it's so tiny for my wife, but I, I make the coffee for her almost every day. Almost every day. Sometimes she beats me to it. But I, I usually make the coffee for her. When we go to our cabin, I even make the French press coffee for her. Every time I make the French press coffee. It's a little thing, but I know she likes it. She's mentioned it before. You know, I like it when you do that. If, if there are things I know that she loves, that she likes, and of course she does things for me as well. God loves a cheerful giver. He says, don't give reluctantly or because you're supposed to, because you have to, because God loves a cheerful giver. I had someone say to me, actually a few people have said to me over the years, uh, I can't give because I, if I give, it'll be reluctantly or because I feel I have to. And God says, don't give. He says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. So I'm just obeying the Bible. And my response to them has always been the same. No, God is saying, change your attitude. That's what the point is. God doesn't want a reluctant giver. He wants someone that's cheerful and generous about it because God loves a cheerful giver. Change your attitude. Don't use this as an excuse not to give, but literally people have done that. I think the reason God loves us so much is that's the way he is. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the way our God is. That's the way he wants us to be. Third reason we live to give is that it provides an opportunity to grow in faith. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and 8 through 10, we find some amazing promises that God gives us if we give, but it takes faith to believe it, to say, if I do this, do I trust that God will bless me in the ways that are, are spelled out in these verses? Let's read them again in verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, having, always having 
everything you need. You may excel in every good work, as it is written, he scattered. It's a reference to, I think, scattering seed, how God is the one that really causes the growth. He scattered. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and, in the process, increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul was saying, we'll be taken care of both physically and materially. He reminds us, of course, that ultimately everything that we have is from God anyway. God is, God is the, he's the one that gives us everything. He's the one that gives seed to the sower. He's the one that gives you your daily bread. That's why we thank God for our daily bread. He gives it to us. We don't believe that sometimes. We think, well, no, I'm the one that earned that. I'm the one who's smart enough to earn this great wealth or whatever it is. In the Old Testament, God told Moses, it's found in the book of Deuteronomy, God has given us the ability to earn wealth. He's given you the strength. He's given you the smarts to do it, the gifts and the talents that you have. All of it comes from God, and by the way, can be removed in a moment. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, James wrote. And if we understand that it all comes from God anyway, then we become vessels of giving to other people, and then he replenishes. And in the process, not only are needs being met, but there's a harvest of righteousness that we receive as well. The bottom line is that I don't think we can outgive God, but it takes faith to believe that. Fourth reason we live to give is that it glorifies him. God is glorified when we do, specifically because those who are benefiting from it praise God for you. They thank you. In verse 11, we read, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity. In other words, you'll be enriched so you can be more generous. That's how this thing works. Which produces thanksgiving to God through us, through our gift. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, which is our living believers, but it's also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. So now they're doing things that, that are an expression of their thanks to God. They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. Because you claim to be a Christian. They're going to thank God for it. And your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. They'll realize that you're proving your faith by, by your giving. I think our, our giving glorifies God as people are blessed, as people thank God for us. But there's one final reason why we live to give, and that is that I think it helps bind us together. Verse 14, again, it says, and they will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. They'll have deep affection. You give to someone and it softens their heart and they have a deep affection for you as they're praying on your behalf and they're thanking God and just a lot of good is happening. I still have a, a deep affection for a woman whose name I don't even know. She attended my dad's church. She showed up one Sunday, and she began to attend, but she was not attending long. I would say maybe two or three weeks. 
It might have even been the first week. It was very early on. This woman went to my dad after finding out that my twin brother and I were both going to go to Bible college. And she went to my dad and she asked the question, do the boys have enough money to go to school? And my dad said, no, they don't have enough to go. And she opened up her purse and got out a checkbook and she wrote two checks for $500 each, one in each of our names, so that we could afford to go to college. She didn't know the exact amount we needed or whatever. What this woman didn't know, and, and I've, I, I, I never told anybody, I don't think I mentioned it for 30 years to anybody. Um, what she didn't know, what nobody knew, is that I had made an agreement with God. I don't usually tell God, I'm gonna do this, but I told God something. I said, God, I'm not going to Bible college if I don't have the money to do it. And my parents could not help. There were four boys, they said, we just can't help you with your schooling. They did not help with our schooling. And, um, and so I told God, if I don't have the full amount, I won't go. Then this woman gives $500. After working all summer and with her $500, I came to the night before I was to leave to go to Bible college. I was literally $10 short. That's it, I was $10 short. And I told God I won't tell anyone. I'm not gonna ask anything. I'm short. That night I walked sorry, around the block and I was praying. I said, God, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to school tomorrow. I don't know what my dad would have said. <laughs> I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. It's the last hour. Nothing's going to happen. I don't know how to get the $10, but God, I, this is the agreement. I came home, got up to the door. My dad walked out, and this has never happened. It, it never happened before. I don't think it's happened since. He pulled out his wallet, and he gave me a $20 bill. He said, maybe you'll need this tomorrow. I'm telling you that up to my life, I, I, up to that point, I was almost 18, I was still 17. My dad had never once pulled out his wallet and handed me money. It had never happened. And then he handed me that and now I had enough to go. No, he didn't even know that. That this was essential, that this part of it. I've often though thought about this woman. I thought, I don't even know what her name is, but because she gave, I've, I've had an affection in my heart for her all these years, and I tend to think that when God looks at the fruit of the ministry that we've had here and whatever else, that God's going to look at it and say, she gets part of that. Because she helped make it possible because she listened to what God was saying to her heart. And it does do something. It unites us together as those who have the means are able to help those who don't have the, need, the means, and it unites us together. Now, let me summarize and close with a, a few quick applications. The main takeaway, of course, is we should live to give. And Paul closed this section with a reminder about the way God gives to us. In verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's just a little subtle reminder. Oh, by the way, God's gift is indescribable. If you're talking about sacrifice and giving and stuff like that, his blows anything away that we could even think of doing. But in addition, I think it, it pays to give. As I said, we reap what we sow. 
It pleases God when we give. God loves a cheerful giver. It provides an opportunity to trust God, to grow in a faith. It glorifies him, especially as people give thanks to God. And then I think it, it binds us together. Right now, we are in a kindness campaign. And so we've been just talking about some of these things, some applications. This kindness campaign goes to the 22nd, but we're asking you to do one of many different things. Looking for opportunities to serve others. Some of you maybe just want to be praying for some other people. That's a way of serving people. Maybe there's a neighbor you could serve. Maybe you could reach out to somebody just to encourage them. Uh, Call them, do a Zoom call or something like that. Write a note. Maybe you could help support a local nonprofit or give to a local nonprofit or, or you can volunteer. I think the, poly, the, put, the, the um, opportunities are endless. But to think in terms, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve, look for some, just some way to give to somebody else of time, your time or what you have. Second, we're doing a coat drive and we're asking you to, to provide gently used winter clothing or you can buy something for someone and you can find out how to do that on our website. It could actually be sent. Uh, also, again, Operation Christmas Child where you pack small toys and school supplies and hygiene items and the kids get a gospel too. I've passed these out in some third world countries. I've been down in some countries where we were passing out these... Christmas child boxes to the kids. I was one of the ones doing it. And one of the boxes I grabbed was from Morgantown, West Virginia. I could not believe it. It started here. It made it down there. It was in my hands. I was giving it away. And then finally, I do encourage you to support the ministry here at Chestnut Ridge. The outreach, the opportunities we have to do good. We're trying to do good in serving in various ways, but also advance the gospel of Christ. Because again, Jesus made this promise, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be provided for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your indescribable gift. We look at that and we realize what an example for us to follow that the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life we really want to have that mindset in a world where it's so easy to be selfish so easy to accumulate for ourselves give us a heart that looks beyond ourselves a heart that cares for the needs of others a heart that wants to advance the gospel Boy, night is coming when we can't work anymore, Lord, and we really want to be about advancing the good news of Christ in a broken world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's talk. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or you can download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.